Welcome to Hadley Presents. I'm your host, Ricky Enger, inviting you to sit back, relax, and enjoy a conversation with the experts. In this episode, we address the topic of shame as it relates to vision loss. And joining us are Hadley's Director of Community, Mark Arneson, along with psychologist Ed McDaniel and social worker Jeff Flodine. Welcome to the show, everybody. Hey, Ricky. Thank you. Wow. we got a full house today. That's exactly what I like to see. (laughs) So before we jump into this topic, and it's, it's an incredible one, it's actually something that people ask about from time to time. So I'm delighted that we're having the chance to, to really dive into it. But before we do that, why don't we just get an idea of who everyone is? Uh, Mark, we'll start with you. You're no stranger to the program, but just a brief one or two sentences about who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. Of course, Ricky. I'm Mark Arneson, as you had mentioned. Uh, My title is Director of Community. What I do is I actually spend a lot of my days just meeting interesting and fascinating people and and talking about all the things that we do here at Hadley. So I, I get to join a lot of low vision support groups and just share about all the ways that we can help. Nice. All right. So, Ed, how about a little bit from you? Tell us about who you are and uh, what you do. Sure. Um, Ed McDaniel, and I've been a psychologist for quite a while. I retired from the state of North Carolina after 30 years and worked for a nonprofit for a while. And uh, more recently, I've been transitioning to uh, doing more work with people with vision loss. My previous 30 years was uh, a whole variety of people with disabilities. Excellent. Thank you. Can't wait to hear uh, your perspective on things. And Jeff Flodine, you too are no stranger to the Hadley Presents podcast. We've had you on once before, but for those who may not have heard that episode, give us a bit about who you are and what you do. Thanks, Ricky. And it's nice to be back. Uh, My name is Jeff Flodine. I'm a social worker. I got my MSW when Gerald Ford was president, if anybody remembers him. Uh, I'm also a writer. Uh, I'm the author of the Jalapenos and the Oatmeal Digesting Vision Loss blog, which deals with how to cope with vision loss. I try to be humorous, serious, and uh, practical in uh, alternating blog postings. I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, but uh, spent most of my time, including the last 12 years or so, in Chicago, where I worked for Friedman Place. Excellent. Thank you for that. And uh, also looking forward to your perspective. So it's interesting, you know, Hadley presents as kind of a, a grab bag of things. And we talk about a lot of practical things and we talk about technology, uh, cooking, the sky's the limit, I suppose. But maybe someone is listening and thinking, why exactly are we going to talk about shame? What's the importance of discussing that and vision loss? Maybe it would help to, I guess, frame the conversation a little bit and talk about what the definition of shame is and see if everybody even agrees on that. And then once we're on the same page, we can get to Mark's questions. So the, I guess, formal definition of shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. I don't know if that's exactly what I think of when I think of shame. So why don't we just see where everybody is on that? What do you think about this definition? 
Yeah, Ricky, I, I, after hearing that definition, actually, um, it is really interesting to me. And it just it makes me think, and Jeff, I don't know if you want to jump in here, but I, I'm curious about your thoughts of where you think shame comes from or, you know, what might be the source of shame? Thanks, Mark. With regard to the definition, um, my understanding of the difference between guilt and shame is that guilt is a feeling that arises when you do something wrong. It's an action. And shame comes more from a feeling that who you are, yourself, your core is deficient or even worthless. The difference, I think, is partially that guilt can be assuaged, let's say, by asking forgiveness or going to confession or whatever you do in your culture, uh, whereas shame hits a lot deeper into the core of the personality. It's almost like a rejection of self. And I think there's a lot of different applications of shame in like psychology, which I'm sure Ed will, will look at. Uh, but in the vision loss realm, I think if a person feels shamed by what they perceive as the deficiency of vision loss, then hopefully it won't go any further than that. It'll just be a part of their persona that they feel deficient or uh, less than. Yeah, you know, thank you for that, Jeff. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Ed, do you have anything that you want to add to Jeff's comment? Yeah, I think Jeff described it very well. You know, I think in regards to vision loss, and, and first of all, you know, just to state that shame is, is a very uh, common, normal emotion that we have for a whole variety of reasons. But as it relates to vision loss, I think the source, I would say, would be that we may feel different, maybe feel that we don't fit in, that we're not good enough or as capable uh, as others, afraid that others will not accept us or uh, may treat us differently. So it, it is, as Jeff described it, you know, it's how we feel about ourselves, but also our perception of how others may feel about us. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think, I think too, that uh, it's important to point out that shame is, a, is a, a necessary part of growing up. It's important for a child when they reach the terrible twos or when their, their ego is just boundless, that the fact that they are not omnipotent is reinforced. And some of the ways that shame are helpful or at least ordinary in growing up is the feeling of bashfulness, which does have maybe a, a benefit of keeping people a, a bit cautious as to uh, their relationships and so on. And then embarrassment, which is also kind of a check on somebody's behavior that says, oh no, I, I think I went too far with that. When it gets toxic, like some people refer to it as a difference between ordinary shame and toxic shame is when it really starts being self-destructive and hurtful to your perception of yourself. I had I'd never heard those differentiations before between toxic and, and ordinary shame. That's so interesting. I'm curious. I know, you know, both Ed and Jeff, you're living with vision loss yourselves. I'm wondering if you could just share how feelings of shame may have affected you in your own lives. Jeff, I don't know if you want to go ahead and share first. 
Sure. Uh, well, a bit more background. I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, also known as RP, when I was 35 years old. I had no background in uh, vision loss, even though RP is hereditary, nobody else in my family had it. So it, I was really thunderstruck by that definition, which came totally out of the blue. And my initial reaction to the diagnosis and the prognosis that I was exposed to for RP was to feel that uh, maybe even beyond shame, the world was coming to an end. And I started listing the uh, roles that I had as a 35-year-old man. Who would love me in, in this deficient state? Uh, there were practical things. How am I going to drive? How am I going to learn if I can't read print? How will I keep myself uh, going and energized when I can't play golf or take photographs? So there were a lot of roles like what I am, but the shame kind of hit deeper than what I am. It, it hit who am I going to be? What's going to be left? Thank you for the honesty, Jeff. I appreciate that. And, and Ed, I don't know if you want to share as well, uh, you know, maybe the same question, you know, how feelings of shame maybe have affected you in your own life? Sure. Um, like Jeff, I also have RP, but in addition to that, I have hearing loss. And so what I have is called Usher syndrome type 2A. So that means I've been hard of hearing since birth. And as I got older, the RP started to reveal itself, and I've been slowly losing my vision most of my life now. When I was five years old, I started wearing hearing aids, and around the time I became a teenager, I can see that I was feeling shame about my hearing loss because I started to make sure that my hair covered my hearing aids. Developmentally, when you enter your teen years, you are more concerned about what your peers think about you. And, and so that was something that I wanted to hide. So I think that's common with feeling shame is that we want to hide what we may see uh, as a deficit in ourselves. And so as a young adult, I began to come to terms with my hearing loss. But then at that point, uh, I was diagnosed with division loss. And so then I started feeling shame about that, you know, having some of those similar emotions that Jeff talked about. And so it was kind of going through that same kind of thing, but for two different reasons. And I, I think that in, in my case, with progressive vision loss, as both Ed and I experience, you can feel that you've adjusted well to a certain level of eyesight, and then all of a sudden it diminishes and you're almost back at square one if you're talking about the grief reaction and so on and denial and all that kicks in. But in general, I think it's like the shame starts to kick in at times when you don't feel adequately equipped. And it's, it's like too soon to go public with this. It's too soon to be out there under the scrutiny of the public. And those are the re really the most self-conscious times, like the first time that you go out in public after you've had a uh, training with a white cane, for example. That, no, that's interesting, uh, in Jeff, when you talk about that, and, and you know, you talked about the roles that you've played in life as a photographer, a golfer, things like that. But 
these moments when you don't feel adequately equipped, I think is what you said too soon to go out in public with this. And I'm curious, you know, just your reaction to that. And, and maybe, you know, in addition to that, is there, is there times where maybe you felt this idea of shame, this concept of shame more strongly throughout your life? And, and maybe what do you think has, had led to some of those moments? I think for, for me, particularly as Jeff mentioned, the, starting to use the cane was probably the time that I felt it the most in my life. Certainly um, before that, you know, I stopped driving when I was 29. I, I felt it to some degree at that point, but with the cane, it was probably the most. When I uh, got a guide dog uh, last year, I didn't feel that at all. It was at that point, you know, I think I had come more to terms with my vision loss and I uh, was really excited about having a guide dog uh, where I wasn't so excited in the beginning about getting a cane. But fortunately, that feeling of shame when I started using a cane was worried about what people would think of me uh, was over time replaced with a feeling of confidence about being able to uh, get around uh, safely. And the, the shame started to go away. And I just, it was really replaced with a feeling of independence and um, confidence. Thanks, Ed. I, it's like I, I had the same experience in switching from cane to guide dogs. And I think two factors. One was I felt more equipped and I was ready to be in public. I had come to terms a little bit more with my vision loss. Uh, by the time I trained with my first uh, guide dog, I'm on my third now. And the other factor too, and it, it's kind of selfish, it maybe is silly, but I think it does relate to the um, sensitivity to the perception of the public of you, which is kind of like where in certain respects shame comes from, is that dogs are cool. And I was living in Philadelphia at the time I switched from the cane to the dog. I was commuting by the regional rail. And the difference in the reception that I got every morning when I would step onto the train was was drastic between the cane and the dog. With the cane, people just kind of buried their noses a little bit deeper into their newspapers. But with the dog, it was, hey, come on over here. This is really cool. So you, I, I don't like to, to admit that other people's perception of me does matter, but I, it's a rare person that, that, that it doesn't. It is a rare person indeed. And uh, just so you know, I, I actually never thought dogs were cool until I got a dog. Now they are super cool. <laughs> um, you know, and I don't know, either Jeff or Ed, whoever wants to kind of chime in on this. But um, as we're talking about these, these moments um, that can possibly lead to shame, you know, I've often heard folks talk about the idea of having to ask for help can be really difficult, especially when you're kind of new to vision loss and trying to figure all this stuff out. And, you know, I, I've heard people even share that sometimes they feel like um, they're a burden. And, and I'm wondering, has this ever, have you guys ever experienced something like this or has asking for help ever led to feelings of shame for you? And I, whoever wants to jump in, Jeff or Ed. As you said, in the beginning, it was more difficult for me to uh, ask for help because it wasn't something I did a lot of. So it was a new thing for me to ask for help. And that took some getting used to, you know, and how I felt about myself and how I was concerned about how others felt about me. If I was to ask for help, 
you know, even before my um, vision loss, I was not someone who really liked to ask for help. And, and even now I will do everything I can for myself, you know, and the main thing that I ask help for nowadays is uh, rides um, to go places. But I think still reluctant to ask for help, particularly from uh, people who I don't know. It's a lot easier for family and friends who, you know, I know and trust and, and they know me and, and what my abilities are. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, a, a really good question, a really good topic, because I think that over the 36 years or so that I've lived with RP, I've struggled at different times to accept the level of dependence to which I am able to submit myself. And there's a, there's a pejorative word right there, submit myself, you know, and just to go back a bit in, in terms of what Ed had said, we are in a culture that values self-reliance and independence and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just snap out of it. And all the phrases that go by that. So it was a leap to ask for help. And although this may not be fair or totally accurate, I think in this culture, especially with men, that big boys don't cry, you know, and so on, it it makes it a rather difficult. And so I, I think it may be beyond culture, it may be deeper uh, into our makeup. But yeah, asking for help is, depending on how you interpret it, putting yourself in a one down position. And one thing that I learned recently was there's a term called mitzvah, uh, M-I-T-Z-V-A-H, I believe. And it's defined as the uh, when you grant the opportunity to another person to be helpful without uh, feeling inferior or dependent. And, and that's kind of put a new slant on things for me in terms of asking for things. It's like giving somebody else the opportunity. That's a really cool way to put it, Jeff, um, giving somebody else the opportunity. But I, I think you're right. I agree with you. I think that there are these cultural norms that we're meant to, you know, kind of live up to, and that can be challenging sometimes. And, and I also think, you know, our society is, is really kind of built for those without disabilities. And, and I think maybe what perhaps you're talking about a little bit is this idea of you know, being viewed as different in our society can lead to these um, negative self views or even, you know, oftentimes feelings of shame. Do you think that this is, has changed over time as a society and, and maybe even for you personally, you know, in, in your own life, has this changed over time? Um, Ed, I don't know if you want to go ahead and, and share first. Sure. Um, I do think to some extent, society's views have changed. Um, I think in my lifetime, I think there's probably more. Uh, awareness. And I think some of that comes through media and, um, you know, maybe things that we see on TV and movies uh, where people maybe have a little more of an awareness uh, about vision loss. But on the other hand, I think you can only get a limited view from that. I think it's really from repeated exposure to someone with vision loss or other disability over time where your views really change. So I, I think that, yeah, there have been improvements, but I think there's more that we can all learn about differences. 
I agree. Yeah. Jeff, how about you? Has this changed over time? And, and, and maybe even for you personally, have you seen it changed in your own life? Well, you know, I mentioned earlier that that I was uh, enjoyed photography uh, during my sighted era. And there was a real iconic black and white photograph of a woman who's probably in a seated position propped up against a brick wall. She has obvious visual deficits in terms of, of uh, even cataracts or whatever. Uh, she's rather shabbily dressed and she has a sign around her neck from a string that says blind. And this was long before I had diagnosis and any vision loss. And I was struck by what an iconic photograph that was and how much that said. And I think, yes, we live in a sighted society and there's no way to get around it. So, I mean, it's so ingrained. I, I had a teenager uh, once who has just been diagnosed uh, with RP come and say, I, I think I can put up with the eyesight thing, but right now, is it going to make me look different? There was so much invested in him with maintaining his identity within the sighted community. And, you know, I mean, obvi it's obvious that different perceptions or different reactions hit at different times. A teenager is mostly worried about whether they're going to fit in and whether they got the right clothes. And, and as Ed said, you know, uh, he, he could cover his hearing aids with his, the length of his hair and stuff like that. So it really takes a lot of constant vigilance and bringing a, attention to people that it's not a negative. And I imagine that having this knowledge that most people either consciously or unconsciously view any change, any disability, any anything, this is a tragedy. And there are probably, you know, that gets internalized if you grow up with that. And if you haven't experienced vision loss before and suddenly you do, there's still all of these things that you've absorbed over time just because it's ingrained to think of difference as perhaps tragic or you're suffering from it or whatever. So that's, I imagine that brings about all sorts of feelings of shame. And I just appreciate that both of you have been willing to talk about times in your lives when you've felt that things that made you look at yourself and think, I feel like I'd rather hide this for a bit. And then suddenly, you know, I'm ready to make this public. So I guess as we wrap up, having talked about ways that we feel shame and situations that bring that about, are there some things that have helped each of you to get past that? and? not have those feelings anymore to just come to accept whatever this thing is that made you feel shame initially. Ed, let's start with you. Okay. You know, I would say that emotions that we have, while we would like to think that we have control over them, we, we really have very limited control over our emotions. But what we can control a lot of times is our behaviors and even act with those emotions. So, in, for example, with with shame and, and any other negative emotion, you know, our tendency is to want to avoid that feeling and get rid of it. But maybe a better approach is to 
you know, notice that feeling that we're having, acknowledge it and sit with it for a while. You know, it, what we really a lot of times want to do is avoid that feeling and get away from it. But a lot of times, even though that might provide immediate relief when we ignore our pain, oftentimes will last longer. Uh, so if we can kind of sit with our discomfort for a while, and sometimes I would even say, you know, I probably wallowed in some of my emotions as I was dealing with vision loss for a while, but that allowed me to experience those emotions uh, without pushing them away. And that helped me to uh, move forward. And, you know, some of the ways that you can do that is by opening up and talking about how you feel. And, you know, if that's difficult, maybe writing about how you feel about what's going on and just recognizing that even with those feelings, you can move in the direction that you want to. For example, with the cane, I was feeling shameful about having to start using a cane, but I knew that I wanted to maintain my independence and that was important to me. So I moved in that direction, even though in the beginning, particularly, I still felt that shame. The other thing I would say is when you're doing this, to take small steps, uh, have compassion for yourself because it's not going to be a straight line from point A to point B that it's going to take time. You know, it's this is something I've dealt with for many, many years and continue to deal with to some extent. And, you know, really focusing on what I can do today, here and now, and not worrying about the way things used to be or worrying about what might happen in the future. Thank you, Ed. I really endorse and appreciate all the different facets that you covered. I only have to add that shame is, is internalized and there are some internal processes that can be helpful in terms of working on acceptance and unconditional positive regard for yourself. Give yourself a break. You know, you're doing the best you can. And it's like shame fosters and flourishes in darkness. And a couple things externally, it's important to keep up with your skills because that way, when you do reach the point where you have to go out in public or go under the scrutiny of people, you feel more competent. You feel better about yourself. And the other thing that's been helpful for me is to find people who are going through the same thing and can understand and empathize. And I think the biggest thing for me was to realize that maybe the best way that I can cope with my vision loss is to try through whatever means to help others who are going through the same process. Thank you. Very well said, both of you. And again, I just want to say how much I appreciate your willingness to come and talk about this stuff because it is a moment of vulnerability that it can be hard to be comfortable with. It's easy to talk about things that make you happy. It's probably less so to talk about things that make you feel discomfort in whatever shape that takes. So again, thank you for agreeing to come and join us and talk about that. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, Rick, I just want to say thanks again to Ed and Jeff, you guys. I really appreciate the time and you know, spent on such a, I think it's a really important conversation and um, just appreciate you know a start to a really important conversation today. Thank you. 
Well, and I want to thank uh, you two and Ed and Hadley for uh, giving us the opportunity to bring this out in the open a bit. And I would just say I you know, have enjoyed discussing this and appreciate the opportunity. Thank you all so much. And thank you for listening. Got something to say? Share your thoughts about this episode of Hadley Presents or make suggestions for future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at hadley.edu. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at hadley.edu. Or leave us a message at 847-784-2870. Thanks for listening. 